business fundamentally, it's the management of people, whether it be on my side, the management of my property managers, it's the property managers managing the tenants to pay on time, me managing the lenders and investors and operations is the key to make any business successful. So in the business of fast food, when you're dealing with workers and stuff like that, how do you create systems in a way that you can scale? Because I could imagine in the beginning, were you on the fryers? I was. And how did you get yourself out of that? Because so many people stay on the fries and think that's all they can do. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments on various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and by investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Lance Growlick. Now, Lance is the CEO of ION Franchising, an industry-leading franchise consulting and development group that represents over 800 franchise brands and businesses. G'day, Lance. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Reed, I am fantastic. So thanks for having me. Can you rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid? You know, I was in an entrepreneurial family and I surprised everybody by going to what was called in Long Island, New York, where I grew up to a flea market and started selling Russell Athletic sweat outfits, sweatsuits, tops and bottoms when I was 13. So yeah, I had a lemonade stand before that and snow cones and all kinds of things. So maybe that That was my first dollar, but Russell Athletic Sweats, by myself as a 13-year-old, I had an aunt and uncle that dropped me off with inventory and a cash box. There were really no credit cards in those days, and and I'm selling sweatsuits at 13. I was was really a a sales guy at heart, pretty young. So many questions. How the hell did you get the money to go buy the inventory like at 13? You know, there clearly was a loan from mom and dad or the uncle and auntie. Yep, they did it. They did it. They helped me with everything. They watched me in action first and then let me you know, set me free and realize they didn't need to help me at all anymore. Right. And they can go enjoy their uh, Saturday or Sunday or whatever day it was. <laughs> well, walk us through the, the, the journey of where you are today and how you've started ION franchising. So, look, I... <laughs> Everybody, the big question is, how do people become entrepreneurs? And, you know, a lot of people have a lousy job. I grew up in an incredibly entrepreneurial family. I had a, a real estate attorney, grandpa, number number one, so to speak. The other grandpa had a chain of supermarkets that he built, and dad was on Wall Street. So I had kind of the, the trifecta of investments, Wall Street, real estate, and business ownership. And I worked on Wall Street for dad. You know, I, I liked it for a period of time. But by the time I got out of college and started doing it full time, I started realizing, you know, I, I think I need a little more people interaction. I'm all for making money, but I, I want to have some fun. I'm, I'm young here. I traveled across the country to Arizona, left New York, went to Arizona, joined another uncle who made some money in tech and wanted to build a TGI Fridays franchise empire. And uh, we built that from zero to $225 million. Imagine $225 million bucks, Reed, in the early 90s, what the equivalent of that is today. We did a lot of acquisitions, new store openings, 
I'd like to say I got my MBA in, in, in restaurant operations at that stage. I did, by the way, get a job in college working in restaurants and bars, college restaurants and bars, and ended up running them all while I was still in college. I'll never forget my mother and father yelled at me. What are you doing getting a job at college? You're not supposed to get a job. Four years in and out of college. I was always that guy that had to be busy, had to, you know, I love people. And uh, so franchising, I realized, is the right thing for me. After I left Uncle Steven five years into it, he got bored. He went back to Korea to go build another company. And I, I ended up, Wingstop was a franchise I eventually did, Krispy Kreme Donuts, did some consulting in between. And then I created a now famous uh, donut brand called Pink Box Donuts. Started that from scratch. And uh, I'm a builder. I'm not a maintainer. I like uh, my wife, definitely my good wife, my second wife. I won't tell you about the first <laughs> one, right? My perfect wife that I have now for about 14 years, she's trying to always get me on ADD medication. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So uh, I have to be kept busy. So when I got done with all that, instead of retiring, I'm only 57. And, and look, my favorite quote, you ready for this? One of my quotes, put yourself in a financial position to retire and don't, don't retire. There's nothing to be gained in retirement. You should be having fun the whole time. In the beginning, it's harder when you're building your, your wealth and what have you. But in my retirement, I became a, a franchise broker. Bunch of my buddies that own a lot of franchises said, you know, you need to Share your stories. So I on franchising, EYE on franchising is my podcast. Had it for the last two and a half years. It's in the top 1% of all podcasts. And I educate people on franchising. I have a lot of founders on, and I could have your buddy that did uh, Clean Eats. It was mm -hmm. Clean Eats. That's right. It's in my portfolio. Happy to have him on and hear his story and how he got started. And I have successful franchisees. I have a new sort of spotlight show as an offshoot of Ion Franchising called Franchise Envy, where I talk to very successful franchisees and I ask them all the same rapid fire group of questions on how they got started and how much money do they make and all those good things to prove to people, to show people. Franchising can be amazing. The question is, which franchise of thousands should you be in? As a real estate investor myself, and as you know, the financial IQ that you grow and the curiosity, and you know, you said it yourself. You know, you can't sit still to save your life, and your wife is saying, "Go get some ADD, ADD medication." But I think, in general, what draws us to real estate in, in in the beginning is financial freedom, right? As you start to unwrap the onion and see what you can do with, particularly in our space, you know, forcing net, net operating income, buying buying an existing asset, rebranding it, you know, increasing better property management, increasing better efficiencies and, and increasing rent, you start to see businesses operate very, very similarly, right? Bingo. And you can control NOI. Once you figure that out, that's all it is. And that's all we're all doing, all these old businesses. Whether you go buy a business or you start one from scratch, and we can talk about the differences here, but it's the control of NOI that generates wealth. And that is in itself is the most powerful thing that you can learn as an entrepreneur, whether you're doing it in real estate, whether you're doing it in, in a franchise. Being a non-franchise guy, right? But I see food franchises as being, you know, you hear about the, the Subway franchisee who gets 
whacked over the back of the head with all these costs by having the subway napkins and make sure you've got to have the software and the bloody aprons and you've got to buy this type of dough and it just becomes a non-thing. That's where I'm starting from. So maybe start me there in the food business and how we avoid that. <laughs> Such a great question. So there is, believe it or not, a lot of integrity in the franchise discovery process. Obviously, if you work with a consultant like me, and keep in mind, you don't pay me anything. I get paid like a recruiter. So I get paid by the brand. If I make a match and you buy a franchise, the brand will give me a commission. Your franchise fee, your entry fee does not change. When you're in the due diligence process and you get a copy of the franchise disclosure document, all brands from Clean Eats to McDonald's to Subway, everybody, according to federal law, Federal Trade Commission, needs to produce a franchise disclosure document. There's 23 items in it. Item 19 is the earnings claim. Anything you're required to buy is also in that document. So brands can keep the rebates, the Coca-Cola rebate or the Pepsi rebate, if there is one based on gallonage that each franchisee pours. A lot of times the brands will give that check to the franchisees. Nice check they get quarterly or annually. The bottom line is everything is supposed to be disclosed. So if you're in the discovery process with, let's say, Subway in the example that you gave, you will have an opportunity to speak to existing franchisees about their experience. Mm. And if you start hearing, you're listening for those red flags or looking for those red flags. And if you start hearing, you know, it's too many fees, not enough. At the end of the day, what's the important part? Because look, in real estate, I've done some real estate as well. You know, a lot of people using hard money lenders for certain deals, especially in the beginning when you're just getting started. And that's all factored in, right? After a pair of value of a property or whatever it might be. Same thing in a franchise, not about the fees. It's about what kind of profit can you make in this business? But there are some greedy franchisors, not saying Subway is, and you're easily able to sniff that out with my help in this discovery process to start to understand if you if you can't talk to five franchisees that are happy in the brand there's a problem i just had a guy looking at a a particular home service brand call me and say you know this validation's not that good i was actually a little surprised but brands change just like tgi fridays they were great for a while and then all of a sudden they're not but usually when you're a franchisee you have a lot of warning you know, like when your neighborhood changes, if you have a million dollar house and you're worried about your, your equity and the neighborhood starts changing, what do you and your wife say at some point? You know, honey, we should probably go find another neighborhood. This one's turning a little bit. Same idea. Mm. Sell, get out, move on. I have friends that own three different franchise brands, multiple units. So that's a Longer answer, but there it is. You know. How do you as a franchisee try and identify the location, not even just the franchise, but the yeah. location? Because I think that, as, as you bring it back to real estate, that really makes or would, would make or break the business as well, wouldn't it? 100%. On the retail side, absolutely. When you're doing a home service brand, the only location you're getting is a little office space that's not doesn't have any retail prominence to it, just to store your trucks and have a little office. It can be anywhere in the middle of your territory. Nobody's visiting you there. Mm. So I definitely have all kinds of great stories on site selection. Now, technology being what it is today, 
there's an enormous amount of technology and analytics on location. So I'll give you an example. It's a lot of big companies out there that what they'll do is when a brand's large enough and there's a good enough sampling of existing locations. So I'll give you an example. Wingstop today. Wingstop could give this a software company the 10 highest volume locations in the United States. And that software company can do an analysis of why these are the 10 highest volume locations in the country. And as you know, I can tell you traffic counts, visibility, parking. Is it an end cap? Is it in line? Is it next to a gas station? Because let me tell you, in the early days of Wingstop, I had some of the higher volume stores. And my favorite story ever is, and I was president of the Franchise Advisory Council for, for Wingstop. So our team of franchisees that were successful helped guide the brand with the executive team. I go in for approval on location number five with the head of real estate for Wingstop. And he goes, no, that's not approved. That's You should be in the Walmart center down the block. And I go, yeah, you're wrong. You're wrong. He goes, what do you mean I'm wrong? I said, first of all, I'll never get in that Walmart center. There's no vacancy now. And I need to have a location in this area now. I'm adjacent to it. I'm the anchor in a small shopping center. I have the visibility. I'm adjacent to a gas station. All these things that no one necessarily knew in those days. End of the story is this. Your president of the advisory council will check out the, the location where we're in Vegas next. They did with me. And they literally said, you have a bunch of good stores. We'll trust you. Do it. Mm-hmm. It became the second highest volume wing stop. I think it probably is in the top five highest volume wing stops all these years later. And I sold out a location that they didn't even approve. So what I also knew, and a lot of commercial real estate people in the old days weren't taking this into consideration. The area that I was in, there were very few restaurants. You know, we all know on commercial commercial development, different areas might work differently, but sometimes there's not even a supermarket, not even a big market for people until there's a critical mass of housing, right? Because who's going to shop there? Mm-hmm. So it's the old chicken and egg philosophy. Who's coming first, the residential or the commercial? And sometimes it works the other way. So I was right. But today there's enough software to determine ingress and egress. And is it next to a gas station? How many other restaurants are there? But let me tell you my favorite piece. I knew that a wing stop could do really well next to other fast casual eateries. And that's typically a more expensive lunch or, or dinner item without a drive-through and, and you know better quality food. So it's not QSR, it's not fast food. So near a Panera Bread, near mm-hmm. a Chipotle, mm-hmm. near things like that. And when you find a, sh- a shopping center that has an incredibly busy Panera and Chipotle and things like it, you know you're going to have a successful location if it's run well. And that's what I did, and it always worked. Gotcha. So those, those are a couple of tips. As a segue into run well, business fundamentally, you're going to care what you do, it's the management of people, right? Whether it be on 100%. my side, the management of my property managers, it's the ma- it's the property managers managing the tenants to pay on time. You know, it's, it's me managing the, the lenders and investors. And operations is the key to make any business successful. So, in the business of fast food, when you're dealing with hourly wa- workers and stuff like that, how do you create systems in a way 
that you can scale because yeah. I could imagine in the beginning, were you on the fryers? Were, like, you know, I don't know, like, yeah, like, you, how did you get yourself out of that? Because so many people stay on the fryers and think that's all they can do. You inspect what you expect. And I felt in the beginning, I had to understand everything and get my hands dirty. There was a period of time where, you know, three years into Wingstop, it was Super Bowl, the busiest wing day of the year. And my area manager says to me, hey, store number such and such would like you to help them. I was like, they still want my help? I didn't even know I was that good. And I was like, you know, I was impressed that uh, I was that good or something. But the reality is, and I probably went to help them and support the troops, so to speak. But it's all about leadership. It starts at the top. It truly does. And I was great at attracting. And more importantly, and if we have time, I'll share stories. More importantly than attracting, actually finding amazing people. And when I got this uh, lady, Deb, who had worked for me previously, she was the leader. She and I were the two that went to Wingstop training in the early days and opened the first store together and opened the second store. And and I had franchisees that would call me regularly. Well, how are you doing these numbers? We Some franchise brands will share P&Ls, like a snapshot of the P&L, labor, food costs, things like that, and uh, obviously sales. And people would look at my numbers and, and how are you doing that? Now, when you're comparing, and I'd advise this of, of you know Clean Eats as well, labor hours are the same wherever you are, regardless of whether you're in California paying $20 an hour or Cleveland, Ohio paying 12 or whatever the numbers may be. But a labor hour is a labor hour. So that takes the emotion out of it. It's not about who pays more. How many labor hours does it take to get the job done? So for me, it started at the top. You build an incredibly solid core, just like your body. Got to build a good core or everything falls apart. So build a core team and you'll always turn people over, sometimes as much as 175% turnover in the in the food business. But if you have a solid core, you'll always be fine. You'll be able to hire those people. And the processes and the procedures and that training is so crucial because when that new person replaces somebody on the bottom, so to speak, that leaves, oftentimes training is looked at as an inconvenience. Here, here, you, the new guy, why don't you come over here? Let me just show you in five seconds how to do this. And everything is just terrible. You know, what's the old expression uh, about training? You know, if you don't train them and they stay, what happens? <laughs> what? You know, uh, if I train them and invest all this money in training and they leave, what a waste. Well, what if they stay and the service sucks and the food sucks and everything else? So it's a total sort of 360 approach to it. It's not complicated. Anybody... You know, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time, right? Same thing here. If you look at the whole thing, oh, the food business sucks. Now, truth be told, I still do a lot of food franchises, but there's a lot of other ways to make money easier. So if you're a real estate investor and want to buy property and, you know, want to put in restaurants or whatever it might be, or your desire is just to scale with a great food brand, I mean, the old Wingstop guys have a brand today called Huey Magoo's Chicken Tenders. Their volumes are catching up to Chick-fil-A, and it's a brand mm. a lot of people haven't even heard of. Mm. Incredible. Incredible. Great opportunity, but got to have some multi-unit experience in order to even get into being a franchisee of that brand in particular. 
You mentioned the the differences between in your business that you're you're now a, a franchisee broker. Of the volume of the business you're doing today, what are you doing in food and what are you doing in non-food franchise? Food's probably only 15%. Oh, really? Interesting. That's all it is. All yeah, it right. is today. It, when I started as a broker, it was heavy food still because a lot of my leads and relationships would send me those food-related guys. Although, funny story, an amazing pizza chain, uh, this is confidential, so I can't I can't divulge the name today, but amazing uh, amazing pizza, pizza chain, I got a call, has a bunch of corporate locations they want to sell. So I started calling a couple of my friends because they called me first and said, who you know in these cities? We'd love to sell some corporate locations. Focus on the franchise. So uh, I still have those relationships, of course. But, you know, also restaurants are the largest investments. So, you know, a cheap restaurant today is $400,000 right. to get into. What other things are you seeing starting to franchise that probably you know, back in the early 90s, you just thought wouldn't be franchised today because technology is better or the way yeah. you think about business and servicing? Because I think that's also very interesting in the evolution in this, in this world of what you could franchise today. Yeah. Well, first thing, uh, home care. Talk about a crazy niche non-medical home care, also known as companion care. Unfortunately, both of my parents are gone. And uh, the one thing they had in common, they both wanted to stay at home. They don't want to be put in an old age home, as it used to be called. They wanted their own TV remote. They wanted to watch their TV, eat, a, eat out of their fridge, go to their toilet, shower, etc. Non-medical home care, there are quite a few franchises that I think I have about 23 or 24 of those franchises. And you're talking a low investment, typically 150000 including working capital and franchise fee. And the average home care franchisee, according to item 19, you know, and all of them, and just my personal opinion, it's probably close to $1.6 million, $1.7 million. What profit are they doing on that? What's a profit margin? Well, it, it depends how it's run, whether they're super active or what their team's like. But I can tell you, I know a young couple under 30 in their second year in a home care franchise. They did $3 million in revenue with a $550,000 net. That's great. That's awesome. So, And that's on a $150,000 investment. I had a friend call me and ask me what he should do. A lot of people that call me, they have no idea what to do. I prefer that as opposed to all these preconceived notions about I heard this sucks and that sucks and bloody so, subway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So he he ended up doing a home care franchise. He is a tech guy and he loved it so much 4 months later he called me back and he goes I want to buy a second territory and he did. And when he was doing validation, now I'm jumping ahead but you know, so you get a copy of this franchise disclosure document that has these 23 items that help you with all your due diligence, because this is a proven blueprint and model. So especially real estate investors can ap appreciate the integrity in that to understand what you're getting yourself into as opposed to buying an existing business, which I'm sure or start, we'll be or starting about. starting a, a new business from scratch. Exactly. So there's a model you're following. The question becomes, can you run this thing? And do you feel comfortable that you'll be able to do this in your area? But my client, Aaron, buys a home care brand. Actually, before that, he was doing what we call validation. Validation is one of the last steps where you get an opportunity to speak to existing franchisees about their experience before you join the franchise and fork over any money. 
And he calls me jumping out of his seat. I can hear the energy through the phone. What's up? And he goes, Lance, I just had my third validation call. And this guy told me he did 4 million last year and his net was a million bucks off of a home care brand. Now he's in Northern California. He was in a good area. And I said, well, Aaron, that's way above the printed average in the disclosure document. So take it with a grain of salt. Not everybody does that. Just like I know of a guy that just sold his garage door installation and repair franchises that he has in multiple cities for almost a hundred million dollars to a private equity group. That's does that happen every does that happen every day, Reed? Of course it doesn't happen every day, but it's it happens often that you're selling for 10 million, 20 million, 30 million, whatever it might be. It's such an incredible multiple when uh, there's this old saying, uh, if you want cash flow, don't go buy real estate, go buy a business. So, um, and I, I remember an investor tell me that, you know, and, and you make millions in real estate, but you make billions in businesses. So I'm not sitting here saying we've got to get out of the real estate game, guys. So relax, or really people are going to comment. But, no. you know, the, but, but it's important to understand other things out there as a business entrepreneur and understanding the, the, the forcing of the value, the, the NOI creation. That's really, really, really important. How are you seeing with the economy and higher interest rates and all that sort of stuff? Are you seeing, is any of your business slowed down? Are you seeing businesses or sectors in the, in the economy maybe not as favorable? So when the pandemic hit, the only thing that was unfavorable were all things that were not, you know, not deemed essential and, right. you know, hair salons. So- you know, big restaurants, for example, that that couldn't capitalize truly on the on the appropriate to go, and uh, so very few franchises, believe it or not, kids brands unfortunately were affected. But when you look at the franchise community as a whole, many franchises thrived in the pandemic. So interest rates rising, coming out of the pandemic, and all that. It, you know what? It's just like the real estate folks listening to this and yourself. Interest rates is always a way around it, right? First of all, with the SBA, there's no such thing as a fixed rate. Everything's adjustable. It's 2.75 above prime. That's what, the, that's what the rate is. In most cases, all the lenders want to make sure that the buyers, the, the franchise investors, are, have, have sufficient capital. And all these lenders understand the disclosure documents and the history of these brands. Like last time I checked, college hunks hauling junk and moving. I don't think they've ever had a default on an SBA loan. So any lender looking at those reports is going to go, never had a default, fast ramp up period. Do they have X amount of capital? So I think the interest rates, for the most part, aren't necessarily stopping people because as the rates start to come down, their payments coming down. There's no prepayment penalties. A lot of people are getting uh, getting cash from family members that have been fat and happy for years. I've seen that a lot. I've seen a lot of people come to me saying they're doing loans. At the last minute, they have someone, a partner or family member that says, I'll give you the money. I got all this PPP money that I never even used. <laughs> Let me share some with you. I had that recently on a deal oh, with someone. <laughs> so, But as far as changes... I mean, there's been a lot of changes and a lot of things going on in the world of franchising, but it's never been better in times of adversity when there's uncertainty in the market or interest rates are high. People are always looking, you know, layoffs, a lot of layoffs last year, right? Maybe, maybe it wasn't as bad as some people even thought it was going to get. Those people 
when people are fat and happy at their job and the economy's great and Wall Street's humming and we're up 15% a year and their 401ks are getting fatter, people have no motivation to leave their job, right? There's no pressure on company budgets. So I'm talking to people now that it's their first time seriously looking and they've been a corporate person for 20, 30 years. But now they know they probably need to make a move. I mean, look what happened with people no longer working in offices like pre-pandemic. I mean, certainly a lot of people are going back to the office, at least the hybrid basis and part-time. There's a lot of employees that really love the fact that they got to work from home and now they're upset about it. Yeah. So it's all that adversity and anxiousness that people have that caused them to start looking there must be a better way. Well, mm. you and I know there's a better way, but they mm. have to come to that realization themselves. If somebody's 400 pounds and they're not working out and going to the gym, we can't force them. They have to make the take that first step yep. to like say, hey, Lance, I need you. What's the one piece of advice that you'd give to someone out there thinking about looking at potentially buying a franchise before coming to you? The piece of advice that I give everybody, I know people that have been looking or talking about doing a business for 20 years. So if you're thinking about business ownership, the first thing you should do is call me because I talked to a lady who was a young, smart attorney. I had one call with her, filled her head with all the things she needs to plan for. We had one other follow-up call probably two weeks after that. And three years later, she bought a franchise. Mm. She wasn't ready. I could tell in the beginning, M your mind has to be straight as to what it takes for you to be successful Whatever your lifestyle is, kids, husband, wife, ex-husband, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever it is, mindset is the foundation for everything that you do. But when you have a conversation with me, as soon as possible, I'm free. You never pay me anything. I have a lot of free conversations that never go anywhere. Everybody wants to be their own boss at some point, but it's not possible that everybody can be their own boss. Some people will never get it straight. The same reason, Reed, and it's very sad and it sounds mean, not everybody can be fit. There's work involved and some people don't like the work. No. Well, look, man, I could talk to you for hours because I think this is such an interesting <laughs> interesting in, in the sense that there's there are other opportunities out there to go create wealth that isn't just in the traditional real estate and stock market investing. And it's, it's, it's for people who are serious about understanding how you can control NOI and that's that's it's so important and it's it's not that. it might it might be a slight it might be a different lane but it's the same fundamentals as what we talk about here on the show week in week out with that being said we like to dive into the at the end of the show to dive into their top five investing tips it's a lightning round you ready to get into it let's do it my question number one is what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals I have to work out get my brain right. So that's the one big thing right there. Get to the gym every day and take care of yourself. Question number two is who's been the biggest influence in your career to date? Has to be my father. Mm -hmm. Watching what he's done and looking at the relatives. He had real estate investments. He had his Wall Street gig where he's a partner in an over-the-counter over trading house. He really opened my eyes up. Uh, I 100% dad. Question number two is what's the most influential tool in your business, which could be a physical tool like a, a journal or a phone, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? Yeah, computers these days. I mean, just a good old fashioned CRM. We have a, a sort of a white labeled, I don't even know who makes it, but a, a white label platform. But 
man, these days to keep up with everybody between email blasts and drip campaigns and follow-up cadence and what have you and workflows, that that high-powered CRM is it. Question number four is in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? What did you learn from that failure? Partnerships. I was a miserable, uh, I was miserable in partnerships. My first marriage was awful. I had a business partnership that was an absolute failure. You know, you really learn. You really have to take your time on certain decisions. Other decisions, especially as an investor, you have to be quicker on. But sometimes you really have to pay attention. Take a breath, take that beat, sleep on it, literally, and, you know, think really, really hard. But boy, I learned learned how to be in a, a good relationship. I think partnerships are really important. Probably a whole podcast episode we could do on just how to, you know, they're, they're good to start with, but not all of the partnerships will last forever and that's okay. So, Bingo. Yeah. Bingo. Last question is, mate, where can people reach you to continue the conversation that will be in your sphere? Where do they go? Well, that's the easy one. Lance Gralick, unique name, Lance.Gralick on Instagram. Shoot me a DM, just say read, and uh, I'll send you the assessment, the free assessment on my website at lancegralic.com. That free assessment there helps me and you understand based on your mindset, skill set, life experiences, what brands might be best for you. I call it my franchise finding formula. That and quite a few other questions help me locate some amazing brands for you. But I have so many amazing things out there and you know, give it a shot, all right? And in diversifying as a real estate professional and all your listeners are looking looking to do, had a lot of success with real estate folks. That's awesome. Well, mate, look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. I want to just reflect some of the things I took away from today's show. I think it's you're the second podcast I've had about franchising and and it's demystifying some of those myths out there that you have about you know food franchises, but there's so many other franchises out there that are non-food related. You mentioned only 15% of your actual volume is food and there's ways to make you know control that in a way and make really really good cash flow from day 1 and if you if you have the right ability to go out and do it. So um, really, really appreciate you you taking some time out of your day to jump on the show. Did did I leave anything out there or add anything you want to add right here at the end? No, the you know the final exclamation point is there are franchises for everyone, regardless if you're worth eight hundred million or you know you have fifty thousand dollars, and you don't have to quit your job. There are franchises that allow you to work part time in the business, and with systems these days and processes, anybody can own one if you desire to. You know, that's the question. If you have that desire, you'll be able to do it. Awesome, my friend. Look, thank you so much again for jumping on the show. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll catch up very, very soon. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with incredible advice from Lance. Remember, head over to Lance Gralick. That's G-R-A-U-L-I-C-H.com. Check out his pre-screening franchisee assessment if you are interested in learning more about what are out there for you? You know, and, and as I mentioned, only 15% of his business is food. So if you're not even interested in food, there's so many, there's a plethora of other things that you could get involved with that you might be more inclined to go out and do. So if you are interested, please check him out. It's lance.growlick on all social medias. Again, I want to thank you all for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow the financial IQ because that's what we're all about here on this podcast. The easiest way to give back on this podcast is to give us a five-star review on iTunes. All the show notes from today's show will be up on our website at readgoosens.com and we're going to do this all again next week. So remember, be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.